it was actually dangerous for journalists to have a personal brand. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, you're listening to the Technology Equals Equality podcast. Welcome back, Techie community. Thank you so much for joining me here for our very first episode of 2018. I'm your host, Lori Brooks, and this is episode 74. Please join me in welcoming our very first guest of this year, Elena Newtile, managing editor of OnlyInYourState.com, one of the nation's leading travel and culture sites with nearly 9 million Facebook fans and 35 million monthly visits. After graduating from Kalamazoo College with honors and a determination to use her English degree, Elena cut her teeth in digital journalism at Cleveland Science Magazine and Detroit Metro Times, quadrupling their web traffic in the process. Elena now manages a team of over 70 writers and editors and oversees all digital and social content for OnlyInYourState.com. In her spare time, Elena enjoys hiking, trying new restaurants, and checking out her own backyard in Denver, Colorado, where she currently lives with her husband, Nick. Listen in as Elena and I dive into her internal entrepreneurial journey this month as we highlight female entrepreneurs. Elena, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we dive into your entrepreneurial journey, we'd love to rewind the clock just a little bit. Have you tell us a story about what you thought life might be like when you became an adult, when you left school? What did you think was out there for you in the future? Hmm, that's a great question. I mean, I've always had kind of this entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, as a kid, um, I always was starting kind of these little businesses um, and just was like this little worker bee. Um, you know, every <laughs> summer I'd kind of put on these lemonade stands and yard sales, um, but one business Uh, in particular, that I remember creating, and gosh, I must have been um, five or six years old at this point, Mm -hmm. um, was my my pine cone business. And and essentially, I would go around to all of my neighbor's houses um, and ask if I could pick up these pine cones um, in their front yard, um, and they would always oblige, um, only to discover that I would go home, decorate the pine cones with glitter and paint, and come back and sell those pine cones to the same neighbors that I had originally collected them from um, for 10 cents a pop. So as a little kid, you know, toting around all my pine cones, this this is kind of um, like looking back, it was kind of brilliant. I mean, like what neighbor is going to say no? Um, You know, and I I always ended up having a little bit of cash in my pocket as as a result. So, you know, these kinds of entrepreneurial tendencies um, really followed me throughout um, high school and into college. Um, you know, I always had the dream to, once I graduated from college, to go on um, and work um, in the journalism field um, and eventually, you know, one day hopefully create my own company. You know, I'm, I'm not there yet, um, definitely, but um, kind of down the road, that is something I would love to one day do. You're well on your way in that direction. Fast forward just a little bit to when you were in school. What were you studying? What did you think? you would have as a career later on, because I'm pretty sure you weren't studying pine cones at that point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I had uh, moved on from that. Thank you. Um, but I attended Kalamazoo College, um, which is a small liberal arts school in southwest Michigan. 
Um, I double majored in Spanish and English. And being such a small school, you know, I, I think there are like 1,500 undergraduate students total in the entire institution, very small. Um, they didn't have a designated journalism program per se. Um, mm-hmm. So I was able to get my journalism training um, through experiential learning. Um, at Kalamazoo College, they offer tons of support in this area. So by the time I graduated, I actually had four internships under my belt, nice. um, including a stint at Business Insider, which um, since that time has grown tremendously um, internationally even. But during my internship there, it was essentially like a crash course in digital journalism. It was probably one of the most important things I did during my undergraduate career um, and truly helped me prepare for life after college, I was able to take my experiences at Business Insider, apply them to my senior thesis. And then really from there, it kind of propelled me into the next few years of my career. I uh, went from Kalamazoo College to an alternative weekly magazine in Cleveland, Ohio, where I served as the web editor for about two and a half years. And then I ended up finding Only in Your State, um, or rather Only in Your State found me in 2015 um, through a colleague. Um, at this alternative weekly who introduced me to one of only in your state's founders. And we jived immediately and found that we kind of had the same kind of vision and thirst and ambition for web projects. And at that point I was brought on um, as a managing editor um, in, in January of 2016 and have been there ever since as a college student. It was kind of my dream job to one day be a managing editor at a web company, you know, digital publication, um, and just oversee kind of the entire editorial process. And, um, you know, here just a few years later, I'm, I'm living that dream. <laughs> That's awesome. I love how you went from this pine cone business as a kid, really kind of testing the waters as an entrepreneur, to getting into school and kind of really formulating your own thought processes as to what it is you saw yourself doing in terms of journalism being your interest. I'm curious as to Spanish being your double major and how that came about and why you chose to make the pivot towards journalism, or was it simply because of the fact that Kalamazoo didn't have journalism as the double major, as something that you could major in, that you chose to do the language in order to just kind of contribute to the journalism studies while you did the internships? Yeah, that's a great question. So my my double major in Spanish was actually kind of by default um, after call or after excuse me um, high school. I took a gap year and went and lived in Spain for a year. So nice. coming off of that year abroad, I tested really high into you know the Spanish level and and I think I was like halfway done with a major before even going into my sophomore year. So wow. it kind of was just an in addition to. Um, but I did have the opportunity to study abroad a second time in Ecuador during college. And during that time, I was able to intern um, at a newspaper in Ecuador called La Hora. And um, that was a really great experience to see how um, a newsroom in a Latin American country operated, especially um, having done several internships you know, here in the U.S., just to kind of see the differences, the nuances, mm-hmm. um, and kind of really wet my feet in, in, in both countries there. So that was also an incredibly valuable experience. There's still things today that, you know, I've taken away from, from that stint um, in Ecuador that I can apply day to day, whether that's social media or just kind of how to manage people. So there, there were a lot of, 
really positive experiences about that. I can imagine. I mean, uh, when you have the opportunity to go abroad just on a trip in general for a vacation, it's an experience that you enjoy. But having the opportunity to do an internship abroad is something that kind of opens your eyes in ways that the other experiences may not have the ability to. It's not something that you've kept in your journey as a major playing piece but I understand that it was kind of a default to what it was you were you were really looking to do I think it's awesome the amount of opportunities you took upon yourself in terms of the internships and the ability to pivot and kind of maneuver through different agencies per se with the internships to gain that insight into how each area was conducted. What did you find to be the biggest difference there between the the way the magazines or internet-based publications were managed here in the U.S. versus there when you were um, in Ecuador? Or with well, one striking difference um, that I specifically remember is that here in the United States, journalists are very aware of their personal brand. They're trying to build it up. They're trying to get as many you know stories underneath their byline as possible. Um, They want to make themselves as visible as possible. In Ecuador, at least during the time when I was there, it was back in 2011, the personal brand was played down substantially. In fact, it was actually dangerous for journalists to have a personal brand. And when we would publish an article at La Hora, we were specifically denied a byline. So the publication would publish all of the articles under the umbrella of La Aura and basically take any kind of identifying features away from the journalists themselves. And this was really for their protection just because, you know, it, it right. was a very kind of unstable political climate during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, they didn't want any journalists to be targeted or anything like that. So they would tend to basically just kind of lump us all together under the brand of publication. So that's one of the biggest things. That's I mean, now, especially today and today's uh, climate here in the U.S., um, you know, each and every journalist is trying to promote themselves, their brand, um, their own identity within the publication itself. That was definitely one of the, the biggest differences that I noticed. Interesting. What did you find to be the most difficult of this journey thus far? When you were when you were in Ecuador or when you did the gap year, when you took on the internships, did you find that there was one piece of, of the internships or during your schooling did you feel was was more difficult than the remainder, and why why do you feel that way? Hmm, that's a really good question. So yeah, I would I guess I would say that kind of each piece of the journey, I mean, especially at such a young age, um, you're basically like a sponge, just absorbing everything that you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, relying heavily on your editor um, or your editors for guidance and support. Um, you know, now I've graduated into the role of the managing editor um, at Only in Your State and uh, basically oversee all day-to-day editorial operations. But of course, you know, being in this position has come with its own set of challenges and difficulties. I remember that when I started, um, one of the things that was a big adjustment for me was going from working in an actual brick-and-mortar office with coworkers who sat two feet away um, at my position at the Alternative Weekly in Cleveland to a completely remote virtual system um, that we have at Only in Your State today. So our entire team of 78 works exclusively from home. Um, and as a manager overseeing a virtual community, I've had to learn to connect with my staff on a different level and keep mm-hmm. them energized and engaged. Um, 
you know, we have a variety of, of platforms to interact on a day-to-day basis. Um, email, of course, Skype, we've used Slack, um, and then certainly Facebook. We've, we've taken advantage of Facebook's private groups to have like ongoing conversations throughout the day, um, both serious in nature, like we'll discuss topics and pitches on Facebook. Um, but we also use it as a place to have fun. Um, mm. So our Facebook groups have kind of become like a virtual water cooler of sorts and really have allowed us to get to know um, each other on a personal level. I mean, we'll share stories and things that have happened to us in the day. And, you know, we'll complain about a, you know, a commenter that's giving us a hard time or something like that. So it's, it's actually a lot of fun. I love that. Um, and I think the biggest thing that any manager can do, whether you're working in an actual office or whether you're remote like we are, you know, is really just to treat your employees well and treat them like human beings. And, you know, we want to, we try to be very transparent with our staff. Um, we celebrate our successes. We share our failures. We reward achievement. And at the end of the day, we recognize that we're all working toward a variety of common goals. And we just want to try to nurture the employees so that they can help us meet those goals in any way that they can. And I love how focused you are on managing the team itself when it comes to it being, um, you know, completely virtual. That's something that I don't think many people have taken on at all. Um, you've taken on a team of, I believe you have 47 writers. Is that correct? Um, we have 78. So we have writers in all 50 states and um, 25 cities now. So wow. our entire staff is about 78 in total. Uh, really impressive, first of all, Elena. That's really impressive that you're capable of keeping that morale and the uh, teamwork and, and uh, interest amongst your employees up, despite the fact that it's entirely virtual. I, can, I can't even imagine how difficult that might be. Your virtual water cooler is probably the funniest thing I've ever heard, and I think it's something <laughs> that you should start suggesting and something that I will be suggesting to small business owners globally. Like, you know, new use for your Facebook group. Use it as your virtual water cooler for your teams because, you know, in fact, when we when we first started this call before we actually got into the, the recording, this episode, um, we were touching base on one of my previous guests whom – whose biggest issue was working with his teams, which are remote, um, and they're remote globally, Mm -hmm. so not just here in the U.S., but kind of, you know, his production team and so forth. And so we were talking about the different platforms that would help him communicate with them and what, you know, kind of real-time issues he was having with those communications and different products that would be, you know, helpful there. But I think what you've done is you've taken it a step further in terms of not just communication in work, in in the work manner, but communication in terms of the morale in an office space that doesn't even exist. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's that's really awesome. What do you feel was the key to your ability to get this far in your career to, you know, findonlyinyourstate.com? Of course, that was, you know, a connection that was made. But what do you feel was kind of the driving force behind your journey? Do you feel like it was, you know, maintaining organization with the different um, internships that you were working on and the connections that you were making? Or do you feel like it was kind of maintaining a positive mindset and pushing yourself forward on the journey? What do you feel like really helped you the most? Yeah, um, I think, you know, one of the biggest factors here is is maintaining organization. Um, 
you know, I'm a very routine oriented person. Um, so usually when I tell people I work from home, the first thing I get is, oh, I could never work from home. You know, I, I would just right. watch Netflix all day. Um, yeah. but, but for me, like that, that's not even an, an option. Um, right. I, you know, I'm one of those people who gets up at the same time every day, you know, has the same kind of routine. Um, I basically found in my day to day, my most productive times. And I try to maximize that to the best of my ability. So, um, I'm like a morning person. Um, you nice. know, I, I get like so much of my work done between six and 10 AM. Um, and then I kind of take that mental break and, you know, I'll, I'll go to the gym or I'll go grocery shopping and, and just step away for that, you know, and that hour period. Um, and then when I come back, I can kind of refocus, you know, dive right back into to what I was doing before. Um, so having kind of that or, overall organization, having that routine, identifying and then just really trying to nurture and cultivate that, that's, I think, um, has made such a difference um, for me personally. You know, one of the things that I actually go through in the second pillar of the program that I work on with my clients is really figuring out how to block out the time and maximize the productivity during that time. That's one of the quickest ways to increase revenue in any business. So the fact that you do that for yourself as managing editor is awesome because that's why you're, that's why you are who you are, Lena. That's definitely 100%. <laughs> you know how you're getting to where you're getting to. What would you suggest to other women who are thinking about kind of an upper level management role, but are nervous or scared or a little more hesitant to enter what seems to still be predominantly male dominated land. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What would you mm -hmm. suggest to, yeah. to other women? Yeah. So for me personally, um, the two biggest things that have made a difference are really working hard and knowing my worth. So mm -hmm. when I was about to graduate from college, um, I was in the fortunate position of having to decide between two different job offers. Um, one was at an internship at a company that I only kind of wanted to work for, but it was safe and comfy and I knew I could <laughs> do the job. And the other one was for this web editor position at Cleveland's Alternative Weekly that I mentioned earlier. The hiring manager at the Alternative Weekly had set forth some incredibly lofty goals and to be frank, I was doubting whether or not I could do the job. I remember thinking, you know, what if I can't do it? What if I fail, you know, at the, at the ripe age of 22? Um, I remember meeting with my college journalism professor to kind of talk through some various scenarios. And she asked me a very point blank question. When have I not risen to the occasion? And that question mm. stopped me in my tracks because she was absolutely right. If there was mm -hmm. one thing I knew about myself, was that I could be the hardest worker in the room. You know, I might not be the smartest person in the room. I might not be the most experienced, but I knew I could outwork anyone. And with yep. that in mind, you know, my professor told me to never make a decision based off of fear. And that day I accepted the job. So once I kind of established that work ethic and I realized, you know, I realized I could do the job. I realized I, I had, you know, the ability to work hard and achieve and excel. Um, you know, that's when I started thinking, um, you know, basically what, what were my skills worth? You know, what, what, um, what value do they have? Um, and especially for, um, you know, young members of the workforce, women in particular, um, I think that it's super important to figure out their worth and then not be afraid to ask for it. So time and time again, I've seen young women accept a job offer on the spot. So, you know, the, the managing, the hiring manager will say, Hey, we'd love for you to come in. 
you know, we would offer you X. And they say, yes, right there in the office or on the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of thinking through the job, um, thinking through the expectations, thinking through their unique qualifications and coming up with a counter offer. And I think there are a few reasons why young people and women in particular tend to do this. Um, You know, one, I think it's an emotional response. You know, we're excited. Mm -hmm. Somebody wants us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also a little bit afraid, um, afraid to negotiate. You know, there's there's the looming thought. What if they say no to me? What if they reject me? What if they think I'm greedy? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, accepting a first offer is safe. There's no more limbo. You know, we know we can pay our rent. Um, yeah. But passing up that small window of opportunity to negotiate is a direct contributor to the gendered pay gap that plagues America today. As yeah. women, we need to empower ourselves to take that risk to know our worth, to ask for it. And as Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, says, you know, we need to lean in. Yes, yes, definitely. We need to work hard, know your worth, and have no fear. That Those are definitely resounding statements when it comes to women. The pay gap 100% does exist, I feel, at this point in time because of the fact that we don't speak up. We don't make the effort to ask for what we're worth. And I myself was guilty of this. Started off charging pennies on the dollar and not being sure to position myself and my products in the right way. So I think those are really important pieces in that great Elena. Um, you know, work hard, know what you're worth, and don't have fear. Take the time to really think things through and ask for what it is you feel would work best for you. Um, I think fear is something that holds a lot of people back. Um, and having the recognition of when it's time to push through a fear um, can really help women as well. So I'd love for you to share with us a little bit more about what OnlyInYourState.com actually does. So we know that you have an abundance of writers. I believe you said 78 writers across the country and in, in several cities across across the country. Um Tell us about OnlyInYourState.com. Who is it for? Who is it designed for? Sure. So OnlyInYourState.com is one of the largest travel sites on the web today. Um, as I mentioned, we have 50, um, we're, we're in 50 states and recently expanded into 25 cities as well. We have boots on the ground with writers in every single state um, and also the cities that we're in. Um, we gear our content primarily toward people who are currently living in each state and want to discover new things, new attractions to visit, restaurants to try, hikes to take. Um, our unofficial slogan is discover what's in your own backyard. And that's what, that's what we aim to do. We want to give residents the resources that they need to enjoy their states to the fullest. So I'm originally from Ohio. I grew up there, spent many years there. But it wasn't until I started working at Only in Your State did I realize just how much Ohio has to offer. So we have some of the quirkiest and most unique attractions in the country, and I had no idea. For example, we're home to the Dum Dum Lollipop Factory, and you can actually take a trolley tour through the plant and see how lollipops are made. I mean, how cool Aww, is that? That is, that is <laughs> great. So each of our states and each of our cities, um, they have their own designated Facebook page. So if someone was looking for us on Facebook, they'd search for only in Ohio or only in Texas, only in Michigan. Um, and across our network of pages, we have nearly 10 million Facebook fans. So these are all people who are super interested in travel, Um, You know, they want to discover something new. Um, They want to share their state pride. And so they come to us 
for those exact things. Now, aside from creating content, we also launched a store recently um, in the last few months, in fact. And this was really just to give our followers the chance to kind of wear their state pride on their sleeves, literally. Um, You know, we have a variety of different styles and merchandise on the store. Probably our bestseller so far has been our Roots T-shirt, which is a very simple design. Um, Our tees kind of have the state outline on them. Um, with the with tree roots kind of winding down, and then it simply just says roots. It's very classy, um, sophisticated, and that's definitely been one of the hottest items that we've had um, since launching our store. So we we are a startup company. Um, we were founded in 2015. Um, you know, since that time, coming up on um, two and a half, three years, um, we've grown tremendously. You know, we started out with one state, one writer, and have really blossomed into this company with. 78 employees, like I said, um, you know, a, a pretty sizable Facebook presence and now a store. So just in, in you know, the two, to ha- two and a half to three year span, we have really um, come quite a long way. And I, I think our, our journey is only just beginning. Do you see it going further than just being U.S. based? In other words, only in... We have talked about, um, yeah, globally. we have talked about international expansion um, at some point, it's probably not in the immediate future, but, you know, things change so quickly with our company. Right. Um, we are always adapting, um, always testing new things. So, you know, in six months, we could be having a very different conversation. It, it, we definitely could be, you know, seeing <laughs> only in Australia or only in only in England. So, you know, yeah, yeah no, <laughs> I was just going to say that definitely sounds like you could. I mean, you went from one state with one writer in 2015 to 78 writers um, in, in 2017. So I'm excited to hear the remainder of this journey of only in your stake rapidly growing. You as a listener are interested we're going to definitely include a link to onlyinyourstate.com's homepage, but also to their store specifically. So you can check out that Roots t-shirt that, that Elena was just describing. I have had a chance to look at that, and I absolutely adore that. Definitely we'll, we'll put a link to that. Elena, I'd love to know, if you had a time machine and could go back, say, five to seven years before you found onlyinyourstate.com, you know, probably during your internships and traveling and so forth. If you could go back and tell yourself one thing, what do you think that one thing would be? Probably would have to say, don't underestimate the power of your network. So I think young people in particular, especially those of us who've grown up behind computer screens and grown up using social media tend to shy away a little bit from professional social situations. Um, But for me personally, my network has been the number one way I've been able to move up over the years. Um, For my last two jobs, I actually didn't even officially apply or anything, you know, never submitted um, a resume or filled out an application. Rather, I was able to utilize my network to make the connections that I needed to create the opportunities that eventually turned into jobs for me. Um, So one of my favorite uh, ways to do this is with the good old fashioned informational interview. So I love this tactic if you're ever if you're ever looking for a job. Um, Basically, you um, find people in your industry or even, you know, at a a place of business that you want to work and just kind of reach out and ask them for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of their time to hear about their journey, to hear how they got their start, um, to hear how they're doing what they love every single day. 
And, you know, most people kind of love to talk about themselves, especially this, some young whippersnapper who's, you know, eager to join in the, the industry. Um, so they'll give you that 10 to 15 minutes. Usually it'll go over to like 30 or an hour. Um, but just kind of creating, you know, those meaningful connections like, like that, for me, that's been the most powerful way to really get your foot in the door. Um, you know, when I was starting out, I was moving to Cleveland, Ohio, and really didn't know pretty much anybody in the area. You know, I had some family, but that was really a, no professional connections. Um, mm-hmm. So I was able to use my alumni database and find one professional connection that was relevant in my industry. And, you know, I took him out for coffee and at the end of the conversation asked him very simply, you know, do you have any other colleagues who would be interested in just chatting with me for a few minutes? And boy, you know, that really blossomed. Um, You know, by the end of that, I think I had five or 10 different informational interviews lined up and one, you know, led to my um, first job and ended up being my direct supervisor um, at my first job. So, you know, never underestimates the power of these connections. Um, And I think that creating a powerful network doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out to networking events and, you know, always be schmoozing or, um, you know, whatnot. Um, In my experience, nurturing a few meaningful connections is way more powerful than collecting 100 business cards at your city's next press club event. So being strategic about it, you know, being deliberate, that to me, um, has been the most successful way to to really um, expand my network. Strategic and deliberate actions of really developing connections, creating strategic opportunities to actually move forward. You know, creating that opportunity versus waiting for it is is really what it sounds like. Definitely, using your network is is important, and it's something that I don't think people do often enough. This show is really designed to assist entrepreneurs with possibly coming up with a new business idea by solving an issue or, you know, a need in an industry that they may not have realized to be. Because, of course, we'd love to know if, in fact, we had a magic wand that you could go ahead and just wave and change anything at all that you deal with on a day-to-day basis while, you know, working with the writers and, and uh, the content producers of Only in Your State. What would you change if you could change anything at all and why? So I would probably have to say that I would grant myself a crystal ball to peek into the minds of Facebook's finest and see what kinds of algorithm changes and new types of technology they're planning for 2018. So Mm. as a social publisher, you know, all 78 of us are working remotely. We are incredibly interested and invested in any new initiatives that Facebook rolls out um, Mm -hmm. that could affect our readers how they view our content, and also how we do our jobs on a day-to-day basis. So, for example, in the last 12 months alone, we've increased our multimedia presence, um, specifically video, as that's a really popular format right now um, on Facebook. Um, Another thing we've done is that we've rolled out Facebook Instant Articles for our mobile users, which makes the load time and overall user experience way better for our readers. Mm-hmm. So I would love to be able to anticipate, and I know the rest of the staff um, at Only in Your State would love to as well, um, anticipate what exactly Facebook has in store for us the next one to five years to really get a leg up on other publishers in the game. Um, you know, Facebook is constantly changing, and it's something that every social publisher kind of keeps their thumb on. 
Um, we feel that, you know, we've been um, affected by certain changes, but kind of have a really um, a pretty good handle on how to adapt and grow at the same time, um, you know, with Facebook so that we're giving our readers the best possible experience that we can each and every day. But just really getting a, a look at what they have in store um, would make, you know, every one of our um, our lives easier as we're creating content, creating video um, creating original stories and um, just kind of figuring out ways to maximize shareability and visibility um, for our content on a day-to-day basis. That's awesome. And that's actually a, a, an amazing answer because um, oftentimes it's really about uh, the ability to increase advertising or awareness of, of a product. But I love the way you position that is really about making sure that it that it's the best possible experience for your readers, um, and mm-hmm. that's that's really the sign of a um, you know someone who truly cares about the clients, the customers, the the interaction of the audience that you're having. Um, so I love that answer. And if we can um, have someone create that crystal ball, that'd be awesome. <laughs> However, I think something that would be slightly more logical is I'm totally going to tag Mark as we are publishing this episode, and we are going to reach out and see if there is any way, shape, or form that we can get a leg up on some of those, uh, you know? <laughs> Highly that doubt it, but right. we'll see what we can do. <laughs> we'll see what we can do, Elena. I would I would love it if we could. You know, I have yet to get Mark on the show, um, but we'll, we'll definitely see what we can do because I think that is something that, as marketers, we would all love to have some insight into so good one there mm-hmm. elena you've been absolutely <laughs> wonderful please share the best way for our listeners to find you so our website is only in your and then personally i'm always reachable um, through linkedin um, again elena new tile and you can find me there awesome well elena Thank you, thank you for joining us once again. We truly appreciate you sharing your time and expertise with the community. You've been outstanding. Thank you so much, Lori. Really appreciate it. Elena, thank you once again for joining us here for this very first episode of 2018. We truly appreciate you taking the time to share your journey and your expertise with the community. Techie community, how well do you know your state? To find hidden treasures and adventures that exist only in your backyard, check out onlyinyourstate.com. You can always reach Elena through our show notes page at technology-equality.com forward slash Elena Newtile. Thank you once again, everyone, for joining us here for episode 74 as we continue to highlight females who have taken on upper management or the entrepreneurial journey. Don't forget to click the subscribe link so you don't miss a thing. And until our next episode, as we continue to hear the journey, find the pain and create solutions.